So we're uh, we're in this little bit of a of a pause before a next sermon. So you get all these little fun one-offs. Uh, I, I enjoy this because I feel like this is kind of a, a, a time. I don't know how many people here care about the preaching calendar, but uh, <laughs> but you know there, there there's things that I feel like are, are long lesson that 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 we that we go through as a church body. Then sometimes there's like like I don't want to call them passions or whims because I feel like that's too disrespectful. I, I think it's actually more than that. And in some ways, I think that these are almost like the heartbeat of the father, um, like an exclamation point. You know, like like things where he kind of pulls some threads together and, and he kind of does this. And, and I've learned before that that these weeks, um, whether or not it's because of of just practical planning or you know that when people are traveling or whatever these are always an opportunity i think to to dig in deep to something that the lord's been saying um and i, I want to talk to us today about something i've been mentioning in a little bit of side conversations it, it's popped up in a few sermons that the, the pleasure of the lord and letting that kind of be a, a guiding light for us um starting with me <laughs> Uh, starting with the way that, that I'm ordering my life and the way that I'm ordering my days. I, I rewind the clock a little bit. My name's Josh. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know me well, uh, th this story probably tells you a little bit about kind of who I am. In, in college, for large periods of time, like most of us probably, I had no, no job, right? No income. Um, I, I've always been, quote unquote, you know, that, that good kid or whatever. And I, I, I had this desire in college for you who haven't known this yet, yes, University of Georgia, current CBS national champions. <laughs> Just saying, it's still true. Um, so <laughs> next year's not going to be as kind, I don't think. So I, I have to get them in while I can. But, but you know, here in, in college, it was not a very... Um, it was a party school and all this thing, and, and I had no job. And everybody's doing these things. And I was so convicted about the fact that I couldn't tithe much more than like a dollar or two. And I said, you know, well, people say what time is money, right? I'm going to tithe my time. So I, I did the math, you know, 14, 40 minutes, you know, in an hour. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the Lord two and a half hours every day. I'm going to tithe my time, and I'm going to spend that time in, in prayer. Um, so this was my, my ambition. You're, you're about to see the failure of this amb ambition, okay? Don't be impressed is what I'm telling you. So uh, our college ministry had a, had a chapel that was open 24 hours a day. And, you know, I, I, I came alive at like midnight. That was like my, my time. So I would, I would try to do like maybe three minutes here and then, then go here to the chapel and spend my, my time in prayer. And I would go there and I found the same thing every single night that I went there to go pray. You know what that was? Sleep. <laughs> I fell asleep so quickly on the altar of that chapel. And then I'd wake up confused and like disoriented and with a crick in my neck and just like, and, and feelings of guilt and shame and disappointment in myself. You, you know what I'm talking about? This idea of like, God, I'm trying here. You know, I've, I've got my studies. I've got these things I'm trying to do. There's this girl I'm dating. You know, everything that, that's wonderful. That's my wife, Leah, by the way. He's not in the room right now. Um, but, you know, like, I can't seem to do this. And, and I was so disappointed, so sad with myself. And I'd pray and I'd ask for forgiveness. And you know what I never got? I never got the Lord saying, it's okay, I forgive you. And I carried this guilt and shame for a long time, just feeling like, what is wrong? What is wrong? And then finally, after a little bit of time, whenever I think I kindly changed my heart or my question or something, 
I felt like I heard the Lord say clearly, I'm not forgiving you because you did nothing wrong. <laughs> I, I never asked you to do that. This was personally ambition. This was, this was pride. I gave you what you needed. You needed sleep. And I was struck with it, this kind of, 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 of grace and, and everything. I, I don't want to... I don't want to over-spiritualize this. It's one of those stories I feel it's almost too personal to convey in a way, because you, you can hear this and you can think, oh yeah, sure, Josh, you fell asleep because you were tired, and th this, this is more of a logical thing. Of course, I acknowledge that, but I can tell you in my bones that I know it was more than that. I, I know that the, this wrestling with the Lord was, was, was way more, because I came expecting to have to prove my merit and my worth to the Lord. You, you know what I mean? I, I, I came with it, this chip on my shoulder of like, I've got to do this. I've got to make, I've got to let the Lord notice me. I've, I've got to do what I can to, to show him that I'm serious about this thing. And he gave me rest and I didn't want to take it from him. You see, it's, it's twice shameful. <laughs> I didn't want to take the rest from him because I wanted to do it my own way. I wanted to prove myself. I, I wanted to be this person of faith that, you know, you read the, these, these stories about these people, and it's like, and I can't even pray for two and a half hours. You know, like, you know, can I even pray for one hour? You know, it, it was just getting sadder and sadder. I thought about all the times Jesus was on the Hill of Transfiguration. It's like, can you not even stay awake with me on the night before I go to the cross? And I felt all that viscerally, and I couldn't receive from the Lord what he was saying. Uh, the sermon that I've got for us today began to get our, our articulated a few weeks back i shared a, a soren kierkegaard quote and um i don't know if y'all actually appreciate that as much as i do i might have shared this mainly for for me so i'm going to remind you all again it's a very good quote and, and you should have this um life is not a problem to be solved but a reality to be experienced and i think of all the times i come expecting a problem to solve I expect a chore to have to be done. And, and that's, that's my spiritual posture from where I begin most of my days. My, my operating you know, uh, starting point is here I am ready. Tell me what to do and I can do it. Right? I'm a doer. Like, give me a checklist. Give me something to do. And this quote, it's not in the Bible. You can't find it there. But it's a, a way of understanding what we have brought to the table in terms of the modern mindset. Maybe from our own brokenness, right? And maybe you don't, you, maybe you're not that doer, but there's probably still some mindset that you bring to the table that, that takes you apart from when if the Lord were to say, I give you rest, you're going to say, mm, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> or he says, I give you forgiveness. And you think, that's great, but really, I, what about some power or some authority, right? We, we, we come here looking for something, and often when the Lord gives us what is in his hand for the moment, we can look right past it. And I, I think that whenever Jesus came and walked this earth, that's exactly what happened. You know, here, here we're looking for this Messiah. We're looking for a king. We're looking for a political ruler. You gave us a guy who died on a cross like a criminal. Mm, not sure that's what we were really looking for here, right? And we can be so blinded. We, we can be so blinded that we can miss the beauty of what we're actually being given. One of my common prayers, and I, I spoke this when I talked about the temple is not the synagogue. The prayer that, that I, I rarely utter as an explicit prayer, but it's often the sentiment is, is God, if I just knew what you'd have me do, I would do it. If I just, if you would just make it clear, like, just tell me. 
And I mean, I, years, if not decades, I've been kind of doing this. And when the Lord finally said, why are you asking me that? <laughs> that was what kindly, kindly opened my eyes to realize I'm asking the wrong questions. He's asking me to be different, not necessarily to do more. And, and again, being a doer rather than a beer is probably a hallmark of our society. You know, we pride ourselves on what our legacy is, what the things are that we build, what the things are that we can accomplish, you know, that this checklist of things that, that allow us to feel accomplished and like the, the people of, of prosperity that, that we long to be. And this idea of experiencing life rather than, I, I don't know, solving life, we, we have this problem. And I think maybe you see the celebrities or the Instagram people who seem to be experiencing life more than this, and you feel this almost visceral reaction thinking, no, 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 life, we have responsibilities, we have to, bills to pay, we have all of these things. And I, I fully get it. I want to tell you, if you fit one of these categories, hopefully this, this message is for you. If you struggle with spiritual frustration, if you struggle with a calling that you can't quite put your finger on, if you struggle with the, the brokenness of this world and the systems of it, politics, economics, the, the rat race, the nine to five, if you've been defined by your value, your quote unquote value, as you leave your mark in this world, the things that you accomplish, the things that you make happen, this message is really, I hope, for you. And I speak to you not from a lofty throne of, oh, look at Josh, he's, he solved this. Um, I don't think often that, that as a pastor that that's not, that's not my job. <laughs> All right, um, especially probably being a bivocational pastor, you know that I don't think my job is to lead you from a place where I'm not living these things out. That that's not who I can be. That's not who I'm called to be. I think that you should understand that that really what I'm saying is that not that I'm further along, but I'm attentive to the Spirit, hopefully for us all. And I, I think that as a pastor, I, I hope you know that that's my heart. I will listen to the Lord for you. I, 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 will, I will come to serve. I will come to, to do what I can to say, Lord, how would you lead us? And maybe I can be the tip of that spear force that, okay, where are we going from this place? So I'm going to go to Isaiah 53.10 to, uh, to kick this off for us. You, you may not have expected that with that intro. Uh, this is a common passage we read when we're talking about the suffering servant, when we talk about Jesus who came and died on the cross, and I'm talking about the pleasure of the Lord, just to clear that up. That's where we're going. So starting in verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And a lot of time our reading stops there because there's plenty in there to chew on. There, there's, there's lots of stuff that you can recognize, quotes that are used in the New Testament to, to, to refer back to Christ. We can see this. And if we're honest, the language of the next verse causes a little bit of grief and consternation for a lot of us. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That can be, you know, concerning enough, but let's actually go a little bit more. There's a, there's a more faithful translation to the Hebrew that says it this way, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
The pleasure of the Lord <laughs> was in bruising him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There's a, if you're, you've got a few different translations in, in your own Bibles, you, you might find some very severe uh, shifts of language, trying to get around the awkwardness of saying that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It, it was his will, it was his choice, it was his decision, all this stuff. If you look at the Hebrew, the, the word in the Hebrew is very clearly pleasure. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And I think that this, this is speaking to something deep that, that we find unsettling and almost fearful when we think about this. So when we think about the pleasure of the Lord, it, I want to tell you, it's not just about joy. It's not pride in who we are or what we've accomplished. It's not a, a satisfaction or a contentment or a thanksgiving. If you don't dig into this, I'm afraid that whenever I talk about the pleasure of the Lord in the coming days, weeks, or months, you, you might miss this subtlety, all right? What I'm talking about is this idea that I have found the pleasure of the Lord to be how I can discern what I should be doing today and tomorrow and, and the day after that. I, I found that the pleasure of the Lord is a way of discerning and recognizing and leading me from one thing to the next. And it's been a really good and healthy guiding star for me. When we think of, of pleasure, it may be probably a sensory pleasure. I think that that's often the, the first way we think about this word. Anybody remember the movie Amelie? I've got the little slide from this. Um, Amelie, it, it, it was a, a French film that like won Best Picture something years back, but it started with this really remarkable scene that I felt like was so relatable to two of us. She says, plunging your hands into a bag of seeds. You know, that's one of those first ones. Piercing the crunchy caramelized crust of creme brulee with the tip of a spoon. Skipping stones across the Saint-Martin Canal. These are a few of the small pleasures that make life worth living. And, you know, there, there's these little subtle, the, the hands in the grain is one of the things I remember very viscerally. You know, you can almost feel that even as you think about it. And it, it's this, this wonderful kind of pleasure that we can see. There's a common statement in the president's cabinet that they serve at the pleasure of the president. Have you heard this? I don't know about you, but that would make me feel like I'm on thin ice, <laughs> right? It's not that he's pleased with me. It's that I can be here as long as he is pleased with me. You, you realize that, that that's it. The only thing keeping me in this room, the only thing keeping me employed is this guy's mood, right? And that's, that's not great job security. And we've seen that kind of come to light. Um, or we may think of, of the constant attempts that we have to appease an appetite. I, I can picture like a tyrant king who has like course after course, you know, brought to his table and he goes, this one pleases me. You know, he, he chooses one from that. So when we talk about the pleasure of the Lord, I think all of those are garbage. <laughs> I think that every one that I just spelled out for you right there um, fails to understand what we're seeing in Isaiah 53 and elsewhere in scripture. Um, Here's that same word that we had in Isaiah 53 in Ecclesiastes 3.1. This one may surprise you. You know the bird song, yes? I, I've got the birds here. Yes, you, now you know what's coming. All right. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. We don't translate that pleasure. Guess what the word is? There's a time for every pleasure under the heavens. Maybe that surprises you. It surprised me. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn 
and time to dance. Time to scatter stones and time to gather them. Time to embrace. Time to refrain from embracing. Time to search and a time to give up. Time to keep and a time to throw away. Time to tear and a time to mend. Time to be silent and a time to speak. Time to love, time to hate, time for war, and time for peace. For every pleasure under the heavens. And later on, we get here again, this is uh, verse 17. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, every purpose, every pleasure, a time to judge every deed. And then again in 8.6, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, for every pleasure, though a person may be weighed down by misery. And when you actually put the word pleasure in that one, it kind of balances out the misery a little bit more. There's a proper time and procedure for every pleasure, though a person may be weighed down by misery. That one, to me, is kind of like the icing on the cake. It kind of shows me there's more going on here as we balance this out. Can you imagine, church, your every will, your every event, your every purpose, your every activity being a pleasure? No. <laughs> Everything that I do being a pleasure, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of pleasure in both of those scenarios, a time of war, a time of peace, both of these being a pleasure, it, it's almost nonsensical whenever we look at it with that, that, that strict translation of what the scripture is saying here for us. We don't function well as people looking for pleasure. That's how we end up with narcissists and, and Instagram celebrities, you know? <laughs> This is what the Epicurean was about, right? The Epicureans who lived for pleasure, you know? It's the opposite of the Stoics, you know, the, the people who were like, all it's about is just getting the most out of it, you know, the, 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 the marrow of life, you know, just make sure that you're, you're only doing those things that, that please you. But I think that there's something going on here with Scripture. Let me state the obvious. Most of those translations that I was poo-pooing a bit on a little bit earlier, they're doing a fairly good job with the text. You know, like, it, it, it's a hard job to translate this word. It's a hard job to try to come up with this. This isn't saying, oh, forget all these things. No, in the English, it, it's just, it's harder to convey all this. But there's this note that I feel that we've lost of the Lord's pleasure in all of this. And that note of the Lord's pleasure, that note of the Lord's not just acceptance or his grievance, you know, God's not on his throne just like, oh, man, missed an opportunity. Like, oh, I'm so, like, like I, if only I had more power, I could affect the world better. You know, like, if only I had more authority, man, it could be so much different or, or I'm, I'm just constantly so disappointed. The Lord has pleasure. And that's actually kind of a hard pill for us to swallow. The word in Hebrew is, is kefetz. I actually wrote it down phonetically so I would pronounce it correctly. <laughs> it literally means pleasure. It's got these extended meanings as well. But the fact that it is used is a remarkable part because there are other words. There are words in Hebrew for uh, resolutions, for decisions, for will, for the things that a king decides. All of those words exist in Hebrew. It's a choice that they use the word, the pleasure of the Lord there. So I think we have to rework our understanding of pleasure. Um, one of the big takeaways I had from the Vineyard Conference a few weeks back um, was not even spoken to me. I wasn't even in the room. My lovely wife conveyed this to me, but with such a pull that I, I, I felt like I got this. And I, I, I want to share this with you. It were, there was a man who was sharing about his church, and he was talking about the things that they're, they're doing, things that are going well, things that are not going so well. And, and I think, you know, 
through COVID, a lot of pastors were saying the same sort of thing. You know, what a season we've been through. But what he said, the way she told me, is that there was a moment when he paused. And you, you know when you're talking to somebody and you could just kind of see, you might have a prepared statement, but now you're getting the heart. You, you, you know what I mean? Where, where you're, you're kind of past the fluff, you're kind of past all this, and something real is about to come out here. She says it, it was that moment. And he says, you know, there, there's certain things that even if you fail, they're worth everything. Like, what a way to go down. Like, be the best father, be the best mother that you can. Even if you're a fool, <laughs> even if you screw it up, even if you don't have the words, even if you run out, it is worth going down with that ship to say, I will love my kids and I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm not going to opt out of this. I'm, I'm not going to try to, to simplify. I'm, I'm going to give it everything that I can. The gospel, speaking and sharing the gospel is one of those things. That even if I, I don't have the, the authority, even if I don't have the influence, even if I don't have all these things, you know what? That is worth it. That's worth failing at, to do it well, to, to, to spend my days, my life, just pressing this and being what I can be. The certain things that even if you fail at them, they're worth everything. I told you before, pineapples are not worth it. <laughs> I told you about my croissants. I, I had to bring those back for this. My croissants, the disaster that they were, my perfectionism and my, my crazy idea to try and thwart it by saying Josh does stuff badly, uh, which I still want to start that YouTube channel. Um, I, I'm blessed to have been given some wonderful things in my life. Truly, my wife, Leah. She pledged to be by my side for better or worse. Do you know how amazing that is? To have a beautiful woman pledged to be next to me for better or for worse, sickness and in health. Like, I am blessed beyond what I can put into words. I have two kids, two girls, you know? I would lay down my life for them. I would work a 40-hour week <laughs> for them. <laughs> I would sit there and let them braid my hair. I have. <laughs> I would fight off a pack of wolves for them. I don't know why it's always a pack of wolves, but in my mind, that's what it comes out to be. And one more gift I want to mention. I'd like to say that I've never been in full-time ministry because uh, I'm bivocational. That's not fully true because for two years, I, I, I quit my job and I was in full-time ministry. I was paid Imagine that, paying a pastor <laughs> to pastor a church. For two years, I did that. And there was a certain man who's not in this church, so I can share the story, who pledged $10,000 in a year above and beyond his tithe to go to my salary. It still makes me emotional. Um, it humbled me. It scared me. It was a sense of responsibility that, that just rocked me. And... Um, I, I was paused by this, and I, I said to him, like, why, why are you doing this? Like, like we can probably make the, the ends meet. We'll, we, you know, it won't bankrupt the church. We'll be okay. And he says, Josh, I believe in you. And he said, I would pay $10,000 for you to fail and do this, and I'd be completely content with that. That relieved this burden that I put on myself, you know, because if you're doing this, like, oh my goodness, I, I have to make the church grow. Oh my goodness, I have to preach the best sermons. Oh my goodness, like, I have to come up with the, all these things that we do behind the scenes. And you feel this pressure because it's like, oh, how we have to do this, we have to do that. And to say, I would pay this to watch you fail. 
allowed me that freedom. And I think whenever we can get past this idea of having to, to produce something, you know, like trying to be the perfect parent, trying to make sure that they're in bed at the same time, to make sure that, that you know, we've done these things right, that, that we've paid every cent towards our taxes so that everything is going to, you know, all these things that we put before ourselves. It is worth it, church, to do these things, even if we fail, because there's the pleasure of the Lord in them. There's the pleasure of the Lord to be found in them. That's this guiding light. So whether it's a time to live or die, there can be the pleasure of the Lord there going for it. Do you see where these things are connecting now? That whether it's the son on the cross or the resurrected son, there's the pleasure of the Lord there because it's giving everything to these things that actually matter, not these things that are fleeting, not these things that, that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. It's not that the Lord has pleasure in all things. And I think that this is an important distinction. If you, if you listen to this sermon, you, you're, you might be tempted to, to think, oh, the Lord is just like so happy and cheery and everything's fine. You can't disappoint him and everything. Like you get that teddy bear God picture, which is not at all what the pleasure of the Lord is about. God has an issue with hypocritical religion. He has a big issue with hypocritical religion. He has a problem with empty worship. He has a problem. He gets no pleasure from heartless, pointless ritual. He gets no pleasure from meaningless sacrifice. This is in Amos. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. You know why? There's no justice in the land. There was no love for the neighbor. There was no love for the foreigner. They were not living as the Lord had called them to. They were making a false religion, and they were trying to act like everything was okay. They were like, we're going to keep doing all this stuff, but just ignore the heart. We're not going to give all out for this gospel. We're not going to find the pleasure of the Lord. We're just going to act like he's pleased with us. There's a big difference in living in the pleasure of the Lord and acting like he's pleased with you. That same word for pleasure, you can find in uh, 1 Samuel 15.22, when Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Go all out for these things, but really do it. Don't pretend. Don't, don't put on the show. One of the, the threads that's been pulled into this sermon um, as I was preparing for this, is a reawakening reminder to the evils of sin. All right? It's not a game to play. It, it's, it's not a wound to just ignore and, and to try to just move beyond. Sin brings real hurt, uh, real pain, real loss, real suffering. Not just in an eventual judgment way that, that we will all face, but even now while we walk this earth. And, and I think we fool ourselves thinking, it's just minor, you know, God forgives me. And, you know, and we are, we are proud of our table. We are proud of this open table. We're proud of doing this. That doesn't come because we ignore these things. To, to be in the pleasure of the Lord is to go deep into forgiveness, to go deep into grace, to actually confront these things that come out with the pleasure of the Lord. There's a big gulf between those things. 
I think our, our, our best picture of all this is when we look to Christ. Matthew 3.17 and again in Matthew 17.5, this is at his baptism and again at the transfiguration. This is at first his baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up and out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Do you know what I love about this? What, was it? what did I say? This was, this, was, this was Matthew 3. Do you know what he's done to date? He's like been born. <laughs> he like disobeyed his parents and, and got lost at the, at the temple. And then this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. How incredibly beautiful that the father is delighted that he's pleased in the son when he hasn't done any of this stuff. He hasn't, he hasn't been raised from the dead yet. He hasn't turned down every temptation. He, he hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't healed the lepers. He hasn't done all of these things. He hasn't taught the Sermon on the Mount, which is a really good one. You know, he prepared for that, I'm sure, for a while. He didn't do any of that stuff yet. He didn't go out into the wilderness yet for the 40 days to kind of like really prove himself. And yet the Lord looked at him and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So while sin is not something that the Lord enjoys, and I'm making that clear that there's a reawakening to the severity of sin, the Lord's pleasure is not like some hard-to-find gem that you, you don't know if you have it or not. All right? You have to hold both these things in your hand at the same time. That's why Ecclesiastes is so wonderful for this, right? You have to hold both of these in the same time. This is the pleasure of the Lord. It matters, but it's not hard. And the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Can we just pause I don't think we, particularly in the Protestant church, make enough of the transfiguration. This is, this is a big deal. That, like, can you actually imagine what this was? It's one of those lesser miracles, I feel like, that we skip over because it's like, what, what do we do with it? There's actual feasts for the transfiguration, and there should be. Um, there's a lot of depth in this. Um, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's, it's like a mirror. You, we, we've, we've got these bookends, right, on both sides of this life. It's not quite there because there's still, you know, that whole death and resurrection thing, which he hasn't done yet, right? But the pleasure of the Lord was before him. It was behind him. It was guiding him through his entire life. This is, I think, the model for us. And we mistake it. We put the pleasure of the Lord only when we've done things the right way, only when we've performed, only when I have a, a body of work sufficient to prove to the Lord in a court of law that I've been a good Christian all of my life, only when I can take the test and say, look, I answered them all correctly, I've studied my Bible, I have scripture memorized, therefore you should be pleased with me, right? And we mistake this all the time. We put the pleasure of the Lord as, as an after effect, rather than the root cause of all of this, or as that hope that we think maybe one day I'll be worthy of, rather than realizing this moment, the pleasure of the Lord is here for you now. It can be yours. 
It can be that this, this wonderful joy, this great satisfaction, this thing to guide you not just through today, but through tomorrow and for the rest of your life. I think the pleasure of the Lord helps us understand the priestly blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. What a wonderful blessing. Psalm 139. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's not because he's hunting you down. It's because he has pleasure with you. Because there's a joy to be found. Because there, there's a, a desire for companionship. Because this is the plan. This has always been the plan. This is the, the purpose of this. This is how we're meant to get through this. The pleasure of the Lord was Christ's. Our, our starting posture in the faith for many of us, particularly those who maybe came through some 80s and 90s evangelical Christianity, is what we often call the, the Romans road, which is a valid teaching that helps us understand that all have sinned, right? Who knows this? And fallen short, right? And that is what? That's point one. I got to tell you, that's not point one. Point one is not that you have sinned. Point one is that you have eternal worth. It begins with the Lord's pleasure. It begins with the fact that God deems you worthy of his love, not, not like you had to take some test and apply for it. That's why sin is such a travesty. <laughs> Do you understand that? If you were already wicked and you sin, you'd be like, glad he's not coming here, right? <laughs> That's not the case. You have eternal worth. Therefore, because all have sinned, oh my goodness, what a shame. Do you even understand how sad that is? Do you even understand what a travesty it is that, that you are now separated from the goodness of God? Do you even understand how horrible it is that, that you are not able to experience the fullness of life that you were created for? Because we, we started this idea of, of loss and despair. And I get it. I, I've lived it. <laughs> but I think when we don't realize that we can have the pleasure of the Lord— not just the apostles, not, not just the saints, not just the pastors or worship leaders, not, not just those people you see that, that you, you deem worthy of it themselves because, oh, they can pray two and a half hours without falling asleep, Josh, unlike you. You are worthy of the pleasure of the Lord. Why? Because you've earned it? No. Not because you've earned it. That, that's nonsensical. It's laughable. It may, it's, it's illogical to think that you could earn this. It's because of who he is and because of who you are. That's why this whole thing makes sense. Our starting posture is that we have eternal worth. We have the pleasure of the Lord. It's not because we're useful to him. It's not because he needs us. That's laughable as well. God's delight is in us. God is always previous. It doesn't start with our failure. It starts with him. This is an A.W. Tozer quote. I've never been able to find a problem with this, this theology, that God is always previous. You know, we, we think that we found Jesus. We, we sing songs. I, I couldn't do the delirious, again, if you're from the 80s and 90s evangelical. You know, I found Jesus. Great song. Theologic trash. Because <laughs> we didn't find him. He wasn't lost, you know. He called us. He called us. 
That's why this whole the whole thing works. You know, while we were at his, our worst, Christ died on the cross for us. He's always previous. We can't rewind the clock and say, I started this action. He did it. <laughs> no matter what it is, he is always previous. So let's go back then to that Psalm 136, where I said, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. It starts with this, for you created my inmost being. Now you know this one. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together within the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. He's previous. The pleasure of the Lord was there before we had breathed our first, first breath. It'll be with us as it guides us through our days. Christ didn't earn the pleasure of the Lord. He didn't lose the pleasure of the Lord. It guided him, I believe, through all of his days. Grace is proceeding. It's not an afterthought. Right? It's not plan B just whenever we screwed up. Grace is throughout the entire scripture. Grace is the message. It's through the revelation through Christ. Grace precedes it all. And we think of grace in that, that way like, oh, I've messed up. I need grace. Grace was already there. Grace is how this comes together. Grace is how we have hope. I wanted to. I, I expected the this, this sermon. My, my, my first draft of this, my plan, was to go into the Micah 6.8, which we, we, we know we love. I, I preached a whole sermon series on that, right? What does the Lord require? I mean, it kind of fits logically. You can see where the pleasure and the requirements, where these things would kind of go together. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. But the thing is, that's a different word. Um, that's a different sermon. It's, it's for another day. Because here's the thing. We don't find pleasure in everything that we require. All right? I, I, I want you to hear that again. Louder for those in the back. We don't find pleasure in everything that we require. Right? What does the Lord require of you? Okay, well, well that, that's a good word. <laughs> it doesn't invalidate those other sermons. But, but this is the thing. We're talking about the pleasure of the Lord. Not the requirements of the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord. Which put Jesus on the cross. And walked with him afterwards. This is not a simple word. And I, I don't want you to feel like this is a, a pat, easy answer. I think we actually have to struggle with this one. I think we actually have to try to figure out what this looks like. If the pleasure of the Lord can put Christ on the cross, if, if Ecclesiastes 3.1 is all about the pleasures of this life, everything under the sun, everything, every pleasure having its time, how does this make sense for me here today? It's, um, it's almost a trope now. There's a, a good life coach thought experiment, right? It was a good sermon point. I've used this before. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail, right? I use that in a sermon. It's, it's a good question to get you thinking. Like, if I knew I wouldn't mess up, if I knew that the, the result was guaranteed, what would I want to spend myself doing? Um, the problem that I have with that now is that it's, it's still performance-driven. It's still about making something happen. And I think that the, the way that this gets married into the pleasure of the Lord is this idea of fruits. You'll judge them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. The fruit of the Spirit growing through our life, evident that the Spirit has been at work in us all along. The fruits aren't labored for. 
The fruits are native to the plant themselves, right? Like that's the way it works. That tree will produce that fruit. You give it sunlight, you give it water. That's what it makes. It's inherent to its nature. And I think we worry sometimes trying to produce fruit. We try to make things happen. We, we try to force it. We look at somebody else's fruit and we're like, man, I want to be like that. I'm going to try really hard and I'm going to make my fruit look like theirs. And we are trying to be something who we are not natively. Who has the Lord made you to be natively? What fruit do you produce? Now, sometimes we have to be grafted in. <laughs> sometimes we have to have these things changed to us. That's what rebirth is all about. That's the whole point of this, is that, is that once we were, but now we are not. We used to be like that, but now we're not. Our lives used to produce sin. It used to produce death. It used to produce anger and jealousy and lust and greed and all those things. And those all go towards death. But now when we've been reborn... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the native fruit of the Christian. And if that is not growing out of you, don't try to force something else. Take it to the Lord. Ask him for his pleasure. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to, to fix this because something's wrong. There's still some sin growing up side by side. There's still some, there's something going on. If that fruit is not coming out naturally, I don't think this is a fake it till you make it kind of thing. You can't put on like a little air of, of kindness and be like, there we go. But, you know, inside you're really cursing them out. You laugh because we've been there. <laughs> right? Who has the Lord remade us to be? Do we trust the Lord's work? Or are we still coming to this saying, Lord, I know you granted me rest, but I, I really want to prove my worth by praying for two and a half hours. Lord, I, I know you told me grace and forgiveness, but, but really, I'd, I'd rather prove myself still. Paul talks about this. Have you turned to another gospel? After one saved you? After one redeemed you? Have you now turned to your, something that you can do? Have you turned to works? Have you tried to prove yourself through these things? And he goes into a whole thing with circumcision, which I'm not going to get into right here. So how do we actually know? How do we actually know? Actually, before I say that, God's pleasure for Jesus in Matthew 3 and Matthew 17 wasn't a one-time earned merit badge. God's pleasure was not an end in itself. It was an invitation to continue. I think that, that sometimes that idea of the pleasure of the Lord means like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> I can rest. I'm just going to kick my heels back and be done with this thing. God's pleasure in Christ at the baptism carried him through to the, the, the desert. God's pleasure at the transfiguration led him through to the cross. God's pleasure throughout that life led him to the next thing. And I think we think if I could just achieve God's pleasure, I want to stop right then. Stop while I'm ahead <laughs> before I screw it up. Do you see? The pleasure is meant to lead you to the next thing, to lead you to where the Lord has called you to be, to have the confidence to continue, to be who he's made us to be. So here's the, the ultra-practical stuff. How, how do I actually find to know the pleasure of the Lord? If I'm telling you, church, that this is how I'm now ordering my days, which I'm telling you, church, this is how I'm now ordering my days, I'm trying to actually allow the pleasure of the Lord to be how I know how I'm doing today. Not my own judgment of myself. Not my own discernment of myself. Like, 
Lord, did, how did I do today? <laughs> do I have the pleasure of the Lord? Lord, what, could, what do I want to do today? Lord, where will I find your pleasure? These are, are how I'm ordering my days. The first thing I want to tell you is you got to be willing to be interrupted. This is actually very important. All right. This is not like a little casual comment that I think, oh, he's over-spiritualizing this. No, you actually have to be willing to, to be interrupted. Like in a, in a very real concrete way, like you're in the middle of a conference call and you get a little nudge. This is true story. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, let, let's, let's reset. Let, let's find something here. I know so many people who pinball through life, right? Where circumstances lead you to other circumstances. People react and respond without actually engaging, without actually asking the questions. That's not a way to live. That, that's, that's just making it through. Like I said, if, if you feel like one of the things that are affecting you, like the rat race, the, the systems of this world, the nine to five jobs, whatever those things might be, this message is for you. We have to be willing to be interrupted in a very real sense. This, this could be a disruptive teaching to you. This has to be, I think, a disruptive teaching for us. I don't think you can just add this on as a little bit of like adjustment to your day, but like then kind of forget about it in a week. Like if we're serious about the pleasure of the Lord, be willing to be interrupted. I'm re-engaging with the idea that our faith is disruptive to a self-prescribed life. Our faith is disruptive to the demands of modern society. It really is. We are the antithesis to a lot of things that the world goes for. Do we remember that? Or do we think that we can make peace with both? Because Jesus said it pretty clearly, you cannot serve money and the Lord. And we are unwilling often to be disrupted because we just want a little bit of an adjustment. We, we just, just tweak things. Kindness sounds good. Give me some kindness, then I'm going to keep doing what I was doing beforehand. We're not actually transformed. We're putting on the, this, this mask. We're putting on this, this force without actually being in the pleasure of the Lord. That passage in Amos again was about that sort of thing. We're not actually pleasing him. We're just going to pretend like he's pleased and keep doing all the worship, keep doing all the, the rituals, keep doing all the stuff because it'll be good enough. Our faith is actually disruptive to the demands of modern society. I think we try to shuffle it around, make everything fit. I have my nine to five job. I have soccer practice and car insurance. I have a retirement fund. You know, allowing the pleasure of the Lord to direct me means I can be interrupted. To obey, sure, but most of the time he calls me, he interrupts me to be different, not to do differently. When he interrupts me on a conference call, it's not often like hang up the call and get off. He interrupts me as a heart check. He interrupts me to be confronted with the reality of who the Lord has remade me to be. People at work get really funny if you act actually kind, loving, forgiving. True stories. <laughs> People get squirrely and suspicious. I had a, I, I have this um, multi-company call that I'm in, and uh, I, I lead the call, and um, I, I had to speak up about a proposal that, that I had made that didn't get through the vote. And, uh, and the guy said, you know, Josh, you're the only one who I think can lead us through this. You, you've got some kindness that, that we don't find anywhere else on this call. And my heart broke on that, you know, because th th this is, this is not, I'm, I, I haven't come, they don't know I'm pastor. They don't know a thing. If they Google me, they'll find out. But, you know, they, and they, they could find the sermon. Um, 
this is where the gospel sinks through. Not in the fact that we are just like everybody else, but we are actually salt and light. That we are a city on a hill. That we are different in a good way, in a meaningful way that confronts brokenness with something else, with something better. The second thing, so be willing to be interrupted. The second thing is know the Lord. No wait, stop. I really mean this. I know how your brain works. You want a practical list. Knowing the Lord, you think you do. You, can, you want to move on to the next one that's practical and that you can sink into. But I really mean know the Lord. Know the Lord. I don't mean have scripture memorized. I don't mean have pithy sayings that, that rattle around your, your head and you repeat what others have told you. I mean to know what pleases him. The way that I try to know what pleases my wife. It's not leaving socks into the cushions of the couch that does not please my wife. Like to, to know the things that actually please the Lord, right? It's a specific type of thing. It's not just general. He's pleased by things. To know his character, his desires, his heart, his love, his kindness, his peace. So here's the, the nuts and bolts of how I'm doing this myself. When I find myself motivated by hurry or fear or shame or arbitrary deadlines, it kind of crosses that line. When I feel burnout or frustration or anger, I stop. I get away. I talk to myself. I pray out loud. It's not a magical prayer, but I often just say, Lord, what, what's pleasing to you? What pleases you here? Most of the time, I get reminded of my wife. I get reminded of my kids. That's how it's been going for like the past six months as I've been going through this. He's just like telling me to be a father, to, to be a husband, to be a guy. It's not this to-do list. It's not like, oh, go do this. Like, that, that's what I want. <laughs> like, like, oh, you should go do, like, that he give me some creative way of loving them or anything. Like, it's, it's often like, be. And it's, it, it does, it, it makes me feel often shameful because it's like, oh, I'm not doing it again. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm doing all these other things. It's a call to be. Sometimes I'm reminded of the church. Sometimes I'm reminded of the beautiful simplicity and powerful authority of the gospel message itself, that Christ lived, that he died for our sins. He was resurrected by the power of God. Grace, mercy, kindness. He is yet to remind me of the importance of my work as a security engineer to ensure that we can better detect threats online. He has not yet once brought that up. In my time saying, Lord, what pleases you? He's never said, well done, security engineer. Like, I am proud of what you've done. <laughs> I'm waiting for that message because then I could feel validated in some areas of my life. He's told me to take a break and to play a game with my kids. He's told me to make a special meal. He's told me to take a walk with my dog. He's told me to call some of you and to text some of you. It's active engagement, y'all. It's not... Uh, get your head right and just keep at it. It's active engagement. That's what I've got for us. Um, this matters to me. I hope it matters to you. Uh, this is shaping. It's reshaping. It's reforming for me. And, and I, I hope I can maybe stay a step ahead of the curve here and, and, and live this out before you guys so that you can watch and see how this goes. Um, but the thing is, maybe you don't know the Lord in this way. Maybe you find him hard to know or distant or harsh. 
Uh, it's funny because one of the, the things whenever I was getting ready for the sermon, you know, you look up what other people have preached about the pleasure of the Lord. I found a number of sermons that, that uh, were using Job because it talks about the pleasure of the Lord in there a lot. All the quotes from the friends. And this is so interesting because the friends, you know, give them him the bad advice. <laughs> and yet it sounds good. And so he's talking, they're talking about what pleases the Lord. I'm like, oh, your source is a little, little backwards. This is true. If you Google this pleasure of the Lord thing, you'll find things in Job. You look up what is, is in Job and it's all the, 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 the wrong counsel because we don't understand the pleasure of the Lord. We didn't understand it then. We don't understand it now. This is not hubris. This is not pride saying this. I, I'm struggling with this myself. Isaiah 53. If I can find the pleasure of the Lord in Isaiah 53, if I can find it through all those stuff listed in, in, in Ecclesiastes 3, I'll be feeling all right. It's not a mystery to solve, though. It's not a problem to be reconciled. It's, an, it's not some equation I just got to think through harder. It's knowing the Father himself. There's a problem that's plagued us since the beginning. But I think overall, I just want you to know, church, that this is worth it. That this is actually worth it. It's, it. That's the way I want to live my life. Like I said before, there's certain things that even if you don't get them right, even if you don't do them as, as well as John and Jimmy down the street or whatever, it's still worth giving it your all. Be the man that the Lord's called you to be. Be the woman that the Lord has called you to be. Be the, the student. Be the worker. Be, be the human that the Lord has made you to be. In whatever circumstance, whatever calling you have, it's worth it to go all out on this. Just go all out on it. Want to come back up? I want to pray for us. Um, church, you don't have to struggle to find this. I, I, th I hope you heard that with Christ, right? He didn't earn this. I think if you ask him, really ask him right now, to lead you to the pleasure of the Lord, something will come to mind. Allow that to be the Holy Spirit directing you, you know, saying, Lord, what would you, where, where can I find your pleasure? Where are you pleased with me? What will you be pleased with me about? And it might be a person. It might be an activity. It, it could be, you know, he says, get away and take a walk with me could be a calling. It could be these things that, that we've, we've put to the, to the side, to the wayside. But it's not going to be like a riddle. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be like a, a, a challenge. And if you don't know, if you hear nothing at all, you know what? Come forward. We want to pray with you. Because I really believe this. I really believe this. Maybe there's something else blinding. Maybe there's something else confusing. Maybe there's some other understanding, misunderstanding that we bring to this that makes it just so much harder because if you live in confusion and doubt, if you have a bad picture of who God is in your head, that can just be challenging to overcome. Lord, you are our head. Father, you lead us today and tomorrow and everywhere that we go from here. I'm grateful, Father, that you are God who is not hard to please. But you are a good, good Father. Father, I pray that what we do will delight you. That our worship will delight you. That our hearts are entwined with yours. That, Father, we'll be able to dance with the Trinity. Celebrate the goodness of the kingdom come. I pray this in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.